Heavenly Father, we pray now that you will help us to understand more of your good plans. Please would you take us from the weeks we've had, from the lives we're leading, and lift our eyes to the glories of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So a long time ago now, when I was at university, I had a, a lovely lecturer called Michael. He was, he was intelligent, he was funny, he was witty. He was the kind of person you liked having round for an evening, for chatting. He was a really quite sparkly person. And it was a real shock to me when he died in his early 50s. It was a shock to lots of people. There was a huge funeral service for him in Durham Cathedral. And at the end, as everybody left, they played over the sound system the song by Edith Piaf, Non, je ne regrette rien. I apologize for my French. Mark, he put up his degree earlier. There's a degree in French. I do apologize, Mark. Um, you know, that Edith Piaf song, No Regrets. And over the years, it has not become unusual, it, it's, it's not unusual to hear that song not just at funerals, but at the rest of the time as well. There's an American writer called Daniel Pink, very interesting guy, he's got a new book out called The Power of Regret. And he says that song has kind of become a 21st century anthem. He lists the people who've recorded it. Among Ella Fitzgerald's recorded it, uh, Robbie Williams has recorded it, Emmylou Harris has done a cover version of it, Eminem, I'm, I'm down there with, you know, everybody. Um, Steve Riley and the Mamu Playboys, if that rings a bell for anybody. Others, it has become just a standard anthem song. No regrets. Daniel Pink even says it's become one of the most popular tattoos for people to have. You see it on their necks, on their arms. He, he even quantifies not just the number of people who have it, but the number of people who regret having it and have it removed. But it has become something of a motto. And yet, and yet, Edith Piaf premiered that song in 1960. And three years later, she herself was dead, aged 47. And Daniel Pink recounts her life story. Age 17, she had a child which she then gave away, and the, the child died before her third birthday. When she died, she was addicted to alcohol and to morphine. She had a disastrous first marriage, then a dead lover, and a second husband whom she left riddled with debt. As Pink says, do you really think that Piaf regretted none of her life choices? We know that she did, actually, because we know what her last words were. Her last words were not, no regrets. Her last words were, excuse my language, every damn thing you do in this life, you have to pay for. That was her conclusion. It's really interesting. It's the, it's the flip side to her most famous song, isn't it? If no regrets... It's kind of an anthem of denial, just pretending everything's fine and sparkly. The alternative is an anthem of despair. The universe keeps a list, the universe keeps score, and you will pay. It's hard and it's bitter and it ends in tears. 
And the question is, is there a third option here? If this morning you've come or you're watching and you're crushed by regret and by guilt, is there any option of good news? Or do you just have to pretend it hasn't happened? Or despair? I have to tell you that there is good news, there is fantastic news, there is the best news. And of course, it comes from Isaiah, from the passage that we looked at and had read just now. Um, if you've got it open, page 725, if you've been paying attention uh, at home doing some reading perhaps, you may have spotted that there's something of a turning point here in Isaiah. Up till now, up to chapters 1 to 39, have been pretty gloomy. There's been the occasional glimpse of glitter and glory, but by and large, it's been a gloomy few chapters. Chapter 40 gives us a new dawn. There is there a wonderful change of mood. There are still dark moments, but it's a wonderful change of mood. And there's a new character that comes up, who we will meet, called the servant, who seems to be the, the hero, the rescuer, the savior, if you like, of Israel. Now, if you're new to the story or if you've been uh, dozing off as we've been going through it, let me remind you of the background. We're dealing with the tiny nation of Judah, with their capital city, Jerusalem, and they are surrounded by predatory and powerful regimes. They are facing defeat and exile and ruin. Worse, Isaiah's consistent message has been they deserved it. And these predatory forces have been sent by God. But yet, there is good news. There is good news of something which is a massive turning point. And Isaiah will say there is good news so wonderful that there is no room for denial and there is no room for despair. And it will land right in the life of a 21st century Christian. So let's watch what happens because it's a wonderful thing that happens. Chapter 40 breaks down into four movements, if you like. It's laid out for us very helpfully in our Bibles with gaps between verses 1 and 2, verses 3 and 5, verses 6 and 8, and verses 9 to 11. You can see it's how it's laid out. And what ties it all together is the idea of a voice or multiple voices, people speaking. Verse 2, proclaim. Verse 3, there's a voice. Verse 6, there's a voice. Middle of verse 9, there's a voice. We don't know who these different voices are, but the consistent thing is there is another anthem. Not an anthem of no regrets and not an anthem of despair, but an anthem which is so, so good. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. So verses 1 and 2 are the turning of a page. There is a new story, a story of comfort. Now, you can, you can think of comfort as a sort of a, a nice little cuddly, gentle, there, there thing. When one of our boys was born, I won't embarrass them by saying which one, um, 
I, I was walking around the hospital with, with him and he was howling the whole time. We could not work out, he was fed, warm, dry. We've worked out eventually it was to do with socks. He didn't like his little feet exposed to the air. Pop him in a baby grow or put, even put little socks on him, he cheered up. That's easy little comfort, that's, that's light little comfort. But Isaiah has got something which is stronger, deeper, wonderful, a strong comfort. Remember how Isaiah, I said Isaiah said that they had deserved their punishment? Well, there is a second beat to that. Look with me at verse 2. Tell her, tell my people, that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double, I mean, that means an echo, a twin, for all her sins. Justice has been done. The debt has been paid. The sin has been atoned for. It is over. It is ended. How? Well, later on, he's going to let us, he's going to introduce that other character, that servant. And it turns out that servant is the one who carries their sin for them, who pays the debt on their behalf. But for the moment, just notice this. Denial is not an option. This is, this is not a um, no regrets, move on, nothing to see here. The message is that something is deeply, deeply wrong and it must be paid for. But the good news is it has been paid for and not by them. And spoiler alert, the servant figure turns out to be Jesus. And his death and resurrection is the way that it's paid for. Which is why the best two-word summary of the Christian message really is good news. And the best one-word summary can be comfort. Comfort, comfort my people. Look at the second movement. Verses three to five. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's an engineering challenge, isn't it? Makes the Elizabeth line look slightly small. Imagine for a moment a desert. Picture a desert in your mind. What are you seeing? Gentle sand dunes, the odd camel, a palm tree, an oasis. Not so much. Here's a, here's a picture I took of the, of the desert around Jerusalem uh, a few months ago. See how savage those hills are, how difficult they are to climb and to get through. Or again, off to the side of the road. This is the main road between Jerusalem and Jericho. Have the next slide, Barry. Look how deep that valley is, right down there. Valleys and hills are not gentle Cotswold things round about Jerusalem. They are savagely high, savagely deep. Thank you. And God says, 
I'll overcome that. Because that desert, those mountains and those valleys are, are a metaphor. They're a metaphor for their exile in Babylon with the political and the social and the military forces against them. And God says, I'll defeat them. I will defeat them. They were a long way from home, but he will bring them back. And remember that that exile in Babylon is itself a metaphor. It's a metaphor for what our rebellion, for what our sin, for what our idolatry, as Mark said, has caused and deserved. And God says, I'm going to power through those. I'm going to power right through those to reach you and bring you home. And that is good news, and not just good news for the people then. It is good news for each one of us here. Look again at verse 5. Second half. And all people will see it together. Not just a few in Babylon, not just the people of their time, all people, including us, you and me, each one of us. Listen, friends, if you resonate with the idea of life as a desert. If for you it is empty and hostile and savage and you feel lost and it's full of impossible problems, if you resonate, then hear this. God has made a pathway, a highway to you to save you, to rescue you. And nothing will come in his way. You say, Chris, where has this wonderful highway been built? How? When? What do I do? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. It's on page 967. Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Get the echo? And saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Spoiler alert. It's Jesus. No denial, remember. John the Baptist's first word is repent. We have done stuff which is wrong, but the solution will be Jesus' death, his resurrection. There are highway for God to rescue you, and nothing can stop him. Back to Isaiah, third movement, and that's verses 6 to 8. A voice cries, says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall because of the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. My tutor died at 52. Edith Piaf died at 47. Life is short, isn't it? And it can end like that. A few people, a few people make an impact. For most of us, it's over. And we resonate with Isaiah's famous picture of us being like grass or flowers, glorious and then gone, just blown away by the wind. 
Is that another reason for despair? Maybe to be stoic and just chin up and power through? Not for Isaiah. Remember, no denial, no despair. Yes, life is short, but he knows someone who lives forever. And he knows something that lasts forever. Look at verse 8. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. That's what lasts. God, who lives forever. His word that lives forever. Remember that voice? Remember the message that it's about Jesus? God will never change that good news. He will announce it, herald it, shout it, sing it for eternity. Spoiler alert, it's all about Jesus. Turn with me to 1 Peter. It's on page 1217. Sorry, this is the last flip over today, but they're important to see. 1 Peter chapter 2. Sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1, page 1217. Verse 23 of 1 Peter 1. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever, and this is the word that was preached to you. Life is short, but God is eternal, and so is his glorious promise. Come back to Isaiah for this last movement. Astonishing stuff. Here's what we've sketched out, thanks to Edith Piaf, and I never thought I'd say that. We've looked at the idea of no regrets, and we've seen that that is just denial and it's unlivable by. We've looked at the other side, that everything you do, you pay for, and we've seen that that is brave, but it leads to despair. Denial, despair. And Isaiah says God has a better plan. He has a wonderful plan. Yes, we've done stuff that is deeply wrong. But the right path is not to deny it, but deep repentance. Remember that was John the Baptist's first word? Repent. Relying on Jesus' death and resurrection. And that's what gives us the comfort. There is a price to be paid, and the past is not to pay it. It's far too hard to pay the price for what we've done. But you rely on Jesus' death. Now, Isaiah answers it. Isaiah solves it with two things that don't normally sit together. Gentleness and power. Gentleness means kindness, not assertive. It's quite often doesn't change anything. Power means getting things done. But it can be cold and it can be scary. What if God does both? What if his gentleness is a powerful gentleness that will act for the good? What if his power is a gentle power that will not break anybody it encounters? 
What if I can move out of denial and trust him with my deepest regret? Because he is good and powerful. What I can move out of my despair and trust him with my fears because he is powerful and good. What if that is the pathway through, a God who is powerful and good? Verse 9. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young friends you do not need to be scared of God for anything he asks you to trust him for he is both powerful and gentle some of us maybe you here this morning resonate with this image of a desert you need to know that God has built a highway to rescue you and nothing will stop him. Or maybe you resonate with this idea of dead grass. You need to know that God has an eternal promise for you that will never change. You don't need to live in denial. The things you've done are real, but they've been paid for by the death of Jesus. You don't need to live in despair. The things that you've done are real, but God has promised good news for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's astonishingly good news that you are both gentle and powerful. Power on its own is scary. Gentleness on its own can't accomplish things. But you are both powerful and gentle. Some of us really resonate with the image of the desert. Some of us really resonate with the image of dry grass and the shortness of life. Thank you that the good news is that you can be trusted through what you've provided through Jesus. Amen.